you probably messed up that relationship with that patient. So you can add these little things and take away those things so you can manage that human connection. That's what healthcare is. That's what vision care is. Not in all this paperwork mess. So I think that's where society has gone, especially with like talk of AI and all these things. It's just about bringing them along for the ride. So that's leadership over your staff and leading them into the right direction for the future of the practice. So recently we did a staff meeting and I asked them all, what is, what is sucking your energy? And then what is making you have energy in your job? And you'll be surprised at what the answers are. And then you can move people to the right areas, right seat, right bus. And that's, yeah. I think, critical um, on listening to your staff and getting that feedback. Hello and welcome to the Chris Roll Podcast on iCode Media. Today I had a great conversation with Dr. Brianna Rue, uh, founder, co-founder of Dr. Contact Lens. We discussed a lot of the nuances just within a practice, some related to contact lenses, but some related to the processes that we go uh, on in our practice that take us from one place to the other that can suck the life out of our team if we don't manage them well. Please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. My patients with macular degeneration want clear and succinct recommendations from me related to products and solutions that can benefit their long-term ocular health and vision. To do this for my patients, I need to be confident that what I'm recommending will have a benefit to them. And that's why my supplement of choice is MacuHealth. MacuHealth is specifically formulated and clinically proven to rebuild and maximize macular pigment over a lifetime. This results in enhanced visual performance and aids in the treatment and prevention of age-related macular degeneration. I've discussed carotenoid absorption on this podcast with Dr. Nolans and Stringham, and MacuHealth uses a patented process called micromycel technology. And this technology is clinically proven to increase carotenoid concentrations at the target tissue and deliver the highest level of bioavailability studied to date. MacuHealth has been great for my patients. We really feel like we have the ability to help those patients in all categories of macular degeneration. If you're not utilizing MacuHealth for your patients, Check it out for yourself by contacting your MacuHealth representative. Getting young presbyopes into progressive lenses can be tough, but it doesn't have to be. Verilux Liberty 3.0 lenses are an introductory solution for new and young presbyopes, and they are available in select ad powers. This lens provides all-in-one balanced vision for an accessible and great first-time progressive lens wearing experience. Learn more about Verilux Liberty 3.0 lenses and get free resources to help start the progressive lens conversation with young presbyopes at slorepro.com slash Verilux. I'm down to one and a half days a week in the practice, and then I have two associates that work there, and then I do doctor contact lens the rest of it. So I think what mine is just because I'm working with practices like all over the country like you is just I'm able to see what's working and what's not in like now hundreds of locations and then can take the good with the bad. Um, and I just feel like my reach is so much bigger now than just the practice walls. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, I think the, the thing that I see in a lot of, in a lot of cases is this, um, I encourage people to start thinking about doing other things, not necessarily because optometry isn't important and it's not valuable. It is, but I think having perspective outside of your walls and, and even having perspective on the struggles of other practices how, and, and how that impacts your practice and working through those things are really helpful. But the other thing that I think is way understated um, is it gives you time to think about other things. And, you know, you see so many, so many, so much burnout right now. I don't know if you see this at all, but I see so yeah. much burnout in the profession. You know, I, I've mentioned this comment before, um, but I, I, you know, I was, I was blown away in, in New York. I had, um, dinner with two new, um, MSOs. So medical sale, medical science, MSLs, medical science liaisons. And, um, it's crazy. So Brianna, when, <laughs> 
uh, I actually was ha- was able to have one on the podcast. Her boss allowed her to be on the podcast, and then they um, then the company put the kibosh on it. So like it, it was, I was just having a conversation with another human who happened to have this role, and I was like, "Look, there's a there should be a peek behind the curtain of what an MSL is. Um, I want my listeners to hear about it." And uh, so she, I, I always tell, I told her, you look, I'll send it to you after we're done. Uh, we didn't mention any br- product names. We, we just talked about disease state and it was a great conversation, like a top 10 conversation. And she sent it to her superiors and they were like, nope, you can't have this out. And I was like, well, I already got your, your, infor- you know, your signed consent form, but I'm not going to put you in a bad position, obviously. But I was just like, man, that is it's, it's crazy on those companies behalf because it does it helps you understand as the doctor what mm-hmm. what roles exist that can help you out understanding disease states and how different medications can be used. But the reason I bring that point up is that two of them had been out of school five years or less and were super high trained, like 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 the you know, they've done they did great residencies. So arguably like the best among us in terms yeah. of training. And they're out of the profession. They're not contributing to patient care. They're not, con- you know, they are contributing to discussions with other people. But I thought, man, that, how often does that happen? And when I talked to them about it, it sounded like it happened quite often. Yeah, I think it's happening more and more as we're bogged down with patient care. And I think as we go into the podcast further, it's just the value that we all are feeling, which is getting minimized. And I think that's where, like Dr. Contact Lens, we just made the Inc. 5000 list as number 41 of the fastest right. growing companies. And just reflecting back on how abundant our practices are, but where we're spending our time, it's exhausting. So that's, I think, where the burnout is coming. And also from our staff standpoint, we can't be doing the same things that we've been ever doing and thinking it's going to 10x our practices. It's not. And we're not investing. So we're still scared to spend $2.99 a month on a technology that will bring you hundreds of thousands of dollars. You're going to trip yourself up on a free platform or a rep that comes in that kind of wants to keep you in their company and now you you lose all of that bargaining power. So I think it's about an empowerment piece, especially as I reflect on um, bringing a tech to the space and what we get hung up on as far as value that we feel. Yeah. So when you think about the value, um, if, if we expand upon that, what's your sense of where the the disconnect is between what the the doctor sees as their value and um, what a payer sees as their value, or where 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 does that value proposition in your mind lead to a disconnect that is frustrating and ex, you know exacerbates burnout? I think what I see is it. First off, I'll start by stating that if you don't know what your value is somebody else is going to tell you what it is. And we need to understand that we are running businesses that happen to be optometric practices. And when you innovate with the patient in mind and innovate with your staff in mind and bring things to the forefront for them versus us pushing against it so hard through legislation. I mean, we're legislating ourselves out of so much thing, so many things, so many opportunities. And then when you look at the value where like just what we went with in Florida, where we were not going to be able to call ourselves doctors, we're constantly battling this sense that we're not physicians or part of this healthcare field. We're constantly told on TV through ads that you get a free eye exam. So everything is free, that we're going to rebate ourselves to wealth, that we're going to save ourselves to wealth. And so I think just putting on a thicker skin or thicker armor around what we do provide as far as vision care, that's what we have to lean into. And it's a mindset shift. But that's, I think, where a lot of us are not understanding. We'll discount things because we think the patient can't afford it. But they came in wearing, you know, having a really nice bag and an iPhone and all these other things. And then you discount. 
So by discounting services or being taught to discount services, especially in school, I mean, we're not taught to charge mm. anything. It mm. starts there. You know, I, I, um, so there's so many things that you open uh, a box on and I'm going to dive into them and they're not going to be politically correct. But first of all, um, what I'll say this the nicest way I can. You all in Florida were pushing the limits when you were, when, when, with what you have been calling yourselves for years. Uh, and, and I, I don't think that piece of legislation was good. I am glad it, it got squashed. That is not what I'm saying, but um, but your law says the exact same thing as our law says in Nebraska, and it tells it tells you what you can call yourself. And I've looked at many people's websites; they have not been comporting with what they are legally allowed to call themselves by by your practice act. I think what happened is you guys sort of overstepped your bounds a little bit. Which, again, I think it's garbage that we have to play this game about what we can and can't call ourselves. Uh, I remember coming back to Nebraska after being trained in Oklahoma saying, why don't we call ourselves optometric physicians? And, uh, and all the guys in Nebraska were like, well, we, it says in our practice act what we can call ourselves. And so we just, that's what we call ourselves. And so they all just sort of went along with it compared to other states where, where they didn't, they kind of thumbed their nose at it. And uh, I think you got somebody that, that got under their craw and saw this, uh, saw this opportunity to try to, to hammer the profession, and they did. You know, they did hammer the yeah. profession. And so, um, so I'm, again, I, it was, it's garbage legislation. We can totally agree on that. What I'm saying is I think there, that um, probably some people got a little out ahead of it, but it was common. It was customary. Everybody does it. And so it was like, well, wait a minute. We've been doing this for 15, 20 years, and now all of a sudden you're going to try to create legislation to minimize us. I, I, um, I want to know your thoughts about that. Have you ever looked into it? So the statute, so it's interesting if you look at chiropractors or um, anybody else, they have that word physician. And so right. it was legislation, like old legislation, where we actually hurt ourselves by not calling ourselves the right Bingo. thing. So Bingo. So we have to overturn some of that. And then again, being in Florida and being trained at Bascom Palmer and doing a lot of the training of the first year residents, that there's still this battle um, of what we call ourselves. Obviously, there's not enough ophthalmologists. There's not even enough optometrists to be taking care of this. And so it, I think it comes down to, I was the past president of our local society for a long time too. But you either are going to donate your time to your profession or money or both. And we need more Should of that. So handled. like our pack, yeah. And our yeah. pack dollars are so minimal for what uh. we're able to do as far as scope there's only like eight to ten percent of us just in florida that donate to our pack so if we can get that number up and then really you know going it's the whole battle between commercial and private like i've worked in commercial i've worked in private it's too we're doing the same thing it doesn't matter so but it's where do you want to drive your profession forward and i think there's so much divide that we can bring forth together on the competition factor guys it doesn't have to be there <laughs> yeah no I, so I, much I, to go yeah, around i know i know the, the idea you know I've, I've i've had many people i've i've seen articles on was well, too much saturation there's not there's too many but I, i'll tell you i you know I, I talked to hundreds of practices across the country who are looking for new doctors and can't find them and so yeah. um so uh, clearly there's there's a shortage um and then, you know, you brought up another huge point is, is the value that, you know, we just don't, we come out of school and most of us have no idea what the value of those services are. And that's a big challenge. And, um, and so then you're coming out and then you have this massive student loan debt and you have um, in your mind, you're, you have these two situations, right? You've got maybe private practice or independent practice. Well, really three, maybe independent practice corporate practice and then working with an ophthalmologist and it, it comes down to like well how do i understand the value of each one of those things all it come all for the most part is what's the dollar value that you're going to pay me it's not okay how many patients am i going to have to see and what what types of things are you going to have me do in your clinic and how many you know am i going to have the ability to practice the way i was trained uh, and really build into one of those areas of practice 
And that perspective in a lot of cases is um, is really hard to obtain because you're not comparing apples to apples. Yeah. Well, I think to coming out of residency, knowing knowing what I was getting into with optometry, I don't think a lot of us know exactly what we're getting into in school. Hmm. And I think there needs to be more advocacy there. So it was interesting. I'd gone to, I go to Nova, which is in my backyard and get to talk to the students, the third and the fourth years. Right. And then we did something where some of them came to my practice. So 30 of them came and saw my practice and I gave a little speech about it. And it was very entertaining on when I was in front of the kids in school, right? They're at a desk. They're just, they don't, they can't see it. They can't visualize it. Right. And we are visual. Most of us are visual learners when they came to my practice to see it. And I said, you know, imagine yourself walking in the store, parking here, walking in, this is, you're going to be your practice. This is going to be your flow, your patience. They started having these little aha moments of what optometry could be. And I think we have to infiltrate more of that than just this, school learning, right? And we have so many practices that could open doors. I'm not saying like a student rotation, not necessarily that, but little opportunities that you can go out in the community and share with your future colleagues what it's going to be about. And that's where more of these conversations can happen because as more and more of us are women coming out, I want to empower them to realize you can have a family I only have two kids. I don't know how you have nine, but um, my wife you can is have a practice. I started a technology company, and then like you and I, as we're making this transition between practice to industry and bringing light to that, we are starting to change that conversation. And it, again, it comes to empowerment. Why do you think that that ODs? Because I think I think this is the case too. It's probably a, across the professions. You know, I, I well, I've, certainly I've I've talked to dentists who, you know, they are on an island uh, as well. So I think it's just across professions. But what do you think it is that that people just view a lot of this stuff as like competition? So, well, I you know I'm not gonna I'm gonna kind of hold stuff back. Um, you meant you mentioned uh, competition earlier. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that's the case? Why do you think we're worried about that? I, a lot of it's wiring right? On just human nature, we're negatively wired and very few of us are positively wired. And so I think, again, it's how you self-talk yourself through things. Your number one competitor is yourself. And so within my, like I drive by 30 doors before I walk in my own optometric practice in the morning. Talk about competition, right? And I just know what I have. I know what value I'm bringing to my patients and I'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea and I don't need to be. So I think it's owning yourself and your practice and your entity and what you stand for and then being comfortable with that to possibly get a bad review or have that patient leave. So I think we're trying so hard to live in this scarcity mindset versus that abundance mindset. And when you flip Mm -hmm. it, like Dr. Contact Lens, for instance, you connect that and Chris location after location, there's 1 million here, 1.2 million here, 1.4 million here in the click of a button. And there's very poor leadership. And so I've had the opportunity to recently hire an amazing executive assistant here. And she worked in my practice. She helped me with Dr. Contact Lens. She knows me. She knows what I'm trying to do in the industry. And she's given me some really, really good feedback as a leader being in the practice and what my blind spots were. And I don't think we use that feedback enough for our staff members. We're making them do these mundane tasks over and over and over and they forget (laughs) this and they forget that. Like, just go sit in their chair for one second. The phone's ringing off the hook. This is happening. Like, that front desk is is intense. And we have to be doing better things with our time. And that's where technology bolts onto our practices to innovate for that patient experience. But for some reason, we all forget when we walk in our doors that we are at some point a consumer. You can get your coffee without talking to somebody. You can get your target pickup without talking to somebody. Amazon drops four packages off at a day. Why is a contact lens box any different? 
Why is a glasses pickup any different? And so I think we have to leverage more of our practices, but I see it. We're just printing prescriptions to patients. Every time you print a prescription to a patient, you're literally going to your printer and putting a $100 biller in there and hitting copy three times. You're handing somebody $300 every time you print a paper copy. You don't have to do that. You can send it to them digitally. It's inside of your contact lens ordering system. And the patient will end up ordering from you. That's what's really cool about us at Dr. Contact Lens making the ink list as number 41, top 50 fastest growing companies is because of this abundance. We're doing all of the hard work, getting it to the one year line and then dropping the ball. And it's patient after patient after patient. So it's not about seeing more. It's about taking care of the patients that are <laughs> there in your chair. Yeah, no, no, it's totally right. I mean, it's totally right. I think you made a comment about um, you know the the administrative tasks that that people have to do in the practice, and we've been on a we've been on a sort of a I don't know um, what you'd call it, but we've been on a mission for the last nine months uh, to get that stuff away from the human beings that are in our practice, like the physical human beings in our practice. And, and it's very hard for people to, to wrap their minds around. Like the, it took me probably three to four months, even just to get people to like, they were, they were a uh, few of them were breaking down at the amount of, of tasks that they had yeah. to do. Like we need more people, Dr. Wolf, we need more people. I am overwhelmed. And then to hiring virtual assistants to, to take that load off of them. And it took like three or four months for them to realize like, I'm not trying to take your jobs yeah. away. I'm, I, I don't have any interest in removing the number of bodies in my office. I, what I want to do is make it so that you can focus just on the patient and you can just be there right, right in front, front of them and only attend to the needs that they have. And it took like three to four months before I could even get a list of things that they thought they could offload to a virtual assistant to where once we hired that virtual assistant, they're, they're coming to the point of crying, instead of crying that they're overworked, crying like, Dr. Wolf, I'm not going to have any work to do. It's like, that's not, that's not what I'm trying to do here, right? The point is, is that it is very hard to get those people who are overwhelmed by the work that they have to do, these little tasks that you're talking about. It's very hard to get them to see their value outside of those tasks. Yeah. They sort of own it over time, even though they hate that. They don't like that. It's the, it's the bane of their existence. And it's what makes them not want to come to work. It's what they see as their value. So how do you communicate using additional technology to your team to be able to say, we need to go all in on this technology, whatever that thing is, so that it's less work for you as opposed to more work for you? Because what they'll see in, in many cases, Brianna, my suspicion is, is that you bring in a new, um, a new program like this, and if it doesn't completely and seamlessly sync with an EHR, then it's more data entry. And they'll, they'll look at that small piece of data entry. Maybe it's 20 seconds, maybe it's 60 seconds of additional data entry. I don't know if that's the case with your system, but if it doesn't talk to every system, then it's probably that, that way at least a little bit. And, and if it is, if there's any extra, our team wants to see that as like this barrier as opposed to seeing, okay, if I can do this one minute of data entry for every single one of these patients, that means that I save 15, 20 minutes on... 30% of them or 40% of them. And now all of a sudden my job is not to is not to do those other things, but they can't see that part of it. We you know, I think I think a lot of the, the doctor owners see that. But what's your experience related to that? Yeah, so what's interesting is we're really dealing with process change and the doctors that adopt it and say, guys, this is the way it's gonna be done, and they make their staff get over that two, three, four week learning curve are so successful. The ones where they let their staff vote and how they're going to move forward and they kind of let their staff dictate things, your staff doesn't care if you have another 100 grand or 200 grand in the bank account. They don't care. And so they're going to make a business decision for you that is probably the wrong one. And so there's two different practice owners out there. There's the ones that are leveraging it and leading their staff to do it. And I've asked my staff too, what do you enjoy working? Why do you enjoy working here? A lot of them is because doc, you, you're bringing in this, you're bringing in that, but I'm looking for those types of, of um, staff members and team members 
that will adopt change. And the thing too is if you're not changing, your practice is going backwards. So it's you're constantly just having to keep up and you need your team members to take demos, to answer sales calls, to bring you new things. That's I have like a sheet that people will fill out for a, somebody that calls. Maybe that is something I want to look into. We don't just instantly say no. And it's funny when I'm cold calling offices a lot, Chris, man, there are some rude, rude staff members. And it's about the little things. I get it. There's three people in front of you and you're throwing up a finger because the phone is ringing. You probably messed up that relationship with that patient. So you can add these little things and take away those things so you can manage that human connection. That's what healthcare is. That's what vision care is. Not in all this paperwork mess. So I think that's where society has gone, especially with like talk of AI and all these things. It's just about bringing them along for the right. So that's leadership over your staff and leading them into the right direction for the future of the practice. So recently we did a staff meeting and I asked them all, what is, what is sucking your energy? And then what is making you have energy in your job? And you'll be surprised at what the answers are. And then you can move people to the right areas, right seat, right bus. And that's, I think, critical um, on listening to your staff and getting that feedback. The most common questions I get include, what ophthalmological codes or evaluation and management codes should I use? What ICD-10 codes do I need to build with this CPT code? What CPT codes can be built together and what can't? And my favorite, how do I manage a patient who has diabetes who comes in for a quote-unquote routine eye exam? These questions really highlight the confusion and uncertainty that serves as a daunting hurdle for providers, makes it more challenging for them to care for their patients, and provide those patients with the best opportunity for a lifetime of ocular health and clear vision. That's why we built iCode Education, for this specific purpose. Our mission is to provide optometrists with resources to help you understand disease states, revenue cycles, and billing and coding so that you can put that on autopilot and truly care for your patients. Check out iCodeEducation.com. That's E-Y-E-C-O-D-E Education.com. We've developed a premier billing and coding bundle that includes all of our billing and coding resources in one place. We also have a 10% discount code just for listeners of this podcast. Enter the coupon code E-Y-E-C-O-D-E-M-E-D-I-A-22 at checkout. We'd love to work with you. Check out iCodeEducation.com. I want to discuss the MyDay Toric contact lens for a minute. When I'm reaching for a daily lens for my patients, I need to know that it will be available in parameters that I want and it needs to work. This improves my chair time and my patient satisfaction. The MyDay Toric features the same optical lens design features as the most prescribed monthly replacement Toric lens on the market. MyDay Toric now completely mirrors the Biofinity Toric's parameter range. To be clear, if you find the parameter in a Biofinity Toric, you can find it in a MyDay Toric. This Toric lens design is multifaceted to ensure optimal visual acuity, lens stability, fit, and comfort. Its uniform horizontal ISO thickness and wide ballast band quickly orient the lens for better performance and simplified fitting. The MyDay material is CooperVision's softest one-day silicone hydrogel lens and features Aquaform technology combining a unique balance of high oxygen permeability and natural wettability. The result is a highly breathable lens that keeps our patient's eyes looking clear, white, and healthy. So if you haven't started utilizing MyDay Toric in your practice, I'd encourage you to reach out to your CooperVision representative to get started. Well, that's a hard one to do because, I mean, one one thing is that you have to set aside time for the meeting in the first place. And usually um, if we try to do these huge all-encompassing meetings, they're, they're not that effective unless you've got a very specific plan. And then two, you've got to be honest about the feedback you get. You know, you've got to be like willing to hear things that you don't want to hear. And, and, and actually, I think equally as hard is you've got to have people willing to tell you. 
And I'll tell you that I, that's really challenging. I think in a lot of ways, like trying to solicit honest feedback from, from my team. Um, I, I think there's a couple, a couple good parts about this. I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've recognized this part of it is that, um, that I'm a man and, and a lot of our team are females. So they probably talk to each other slightly different. I mean, we'll be honest. Look, I mean, we're in a day and age that we're pretending that like we're all exactly the same, but we're not. And so I'm sure they're talking to other people in our, in our practice, uh, differently than they'll talk to me. Also, I'm the owner, I'm the practice owner. So it's not, it's, it's not just about being male and female. It's also a fact, the fact that I'm their, their boss, right? No matter what, how I want to splice it, no matter how I want to act like this is, is, this is our team, which I believe it is our team. The reality is, is I'm the leader of that team, you know? And, um, and so the way that people will talk to me compared to their peers on the team is going to be different. And so what I found really valuable is trying to get people that will give me honest feedback uh, to my face, because I want that. They, and that's hard because they don't really think you want it. And and then I wonder, well, did I give them the impression that I don't want that in some way? Like, what did I do to make it so that when I've solicited feedback before, people aren't giving, they're resi- a little resistant. But then two, um, you know, I, I find it really valuable, um, like having associate doctors that are sort of that bridge, right? So so the, the rest of the um, team kind of looks at them like, yeah, they're, they're a superior, they're an authority that can have some insight and some pull one way or the other. We might tell them more, and I've noticed that. Like They'll tell them more, um, and then they'll come to me. And then some of it is, and so then, then when that happens, sometimes it's a, a legitimate issue, and we can, we can work through it, and I love that. And then sometimes um, I find that they'll come to that doctor and they'll say whatever they say, and then the doctor comes to me, and then we try to, and I, I bring it up at a powwow, not like blaming the doctor, but we'll sort of bring it up in another meeting. And then what I realized quickly was people were just griping. They were just griping to the other doctor. And, uh, and they didn't really want to change a thing. There wasn't really a problem. It was just this day I got frustrated, and, uh, and I needed somebody to vent to, and, and I didn't want to vent to the doctor owner but I could vent to this other person. And, and then how do you manage those interactions so that you're not letting that get bombarded on the, on the associate? So I don't know. I mean, but, but I think you, I think the, I started out by saying that I think it's this, um, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest with your team. You've got to explain the whys behind why you're doing things. And you've got to be honest, like ready to have honest feedback. And you've got to figure out ways to get that honest feedback. And then you've got to be able to evaluate and be ready to change because of that feedback and change course and know when the course needs to be changed. And then when somebody's just kind of griping and venting and they just need that, right? And, and so that, that takes a lot of skills. And if you don't constantly, as you said, uh, work to improve your practice, then it just becomes ever more overwhelming. Yeah. And I think Again, seeing not only just administrative technology really advance, but also we have the practice technology too. And that's where we kind of like to live as doctors too, is on the practice tech or like the patient tech. But this is also patient facing on making it easy for them to conveniently do business with you when they want to do it. And so we're taking some of these things out of there that they don't like. I just got a stat from Dr. Contact Lens on Monday where our all of our practices combined, when a patient leaves, they're 60% more likely to order an annual supply than from your practice. And so we're, again, trying to sell these patients, oh, please order from me. We're a small business. We have this rebate and things like that. And it's hard not to go into that mode because we're not all professional salespeople. And when you take the, maybe the patient, it wasn't about money, but we said, oh, well, we can price match, right? Maybe it wasn't about that. They are just getting paid tomorrow and couldn't put what they needed down, or they needed to go home and get their significant other to sign off on something. And so I think it's about putting yourself in the ring and in the patient's shoes on how you like to do business as well. And it's interesting when patients are able to do that, 30% of our orders come in between 6 p.m. and 9 a.m., and another huge chunk of orders comes in between 11 and 1 p.m. Guess what, Chris? That's when all of our offices are down staff members, closed for lunch, closed for a training. Somebody's out and you have to, it's 
like this hustle to get everybody fed because we're all hangry. But that's when patients want to do business with right. you. Right. And we're not there. So I think it's little things like that where you can take some of this off of the staff's plate and really, really benefit the patient. I think if we keep trying to wear this doctor hat all the time, we're missing out on what we're servicing. Yeah, I, I think that's true. I, I think that's very true. I think, um, you know, in the in the mindset of how how more, most people want to shop, you know, um, yeah, there's a million times where I, I want to go to my local hardware store or want to go to my local um, brick and mortar store. There, honestly, I still like brick and mortar stores. I, I am sort of a, I'll, I will like to put my clothes on. I like to try them out. But once I have a cut that I like, I am also probably like many men, and if I get a T-shirt that fits me well, shorts that fit me well, guess what, Branna? I get every single color of that T-shirt, every single color of those shorts, and I don't need the brick and mortar store anymore, right? I want to go there, but if they don't, you know, if they don't have my size in six different colors, so for my summer outfit this year, it's going to be the you know the same thing every day, so I don't have to think about it, but it looks different to some people, then. Like if they don't have all that and it's not easy for me, then guess what? I'm going to find what I want there. I'll buy it there. But then I get home and I'm like, oh, this is kind of nice. I like this. I could, I could wear this all summer long. Okay, buy four, four more, right? That's my summer outfit. So my point is, is I get that. Like, and, and I'll do that at weird times, right? I'll do that mm-hmm. after I get done working out in the morning. Um, I'll get that. I'll do that. Like I'm sitting in bed talking to my wife and, and uh, well, she'll say something. i like, oh yeah, I need to get this and, you know, order. So I think your point is, is pretty valid related to contact lenses. You know, in this case, it would be, hey, you know, I, I'm on my last pair. I just put them in. Oh, let me, okay, I, my, I can Amazon this. No, I can't get it from Amazon. All right, well, what's the next step, right? I, I totally think that that's the case. Now, um, you've, you've brought up your company a couple times. And, um, and so I think what would be helpful is there's probably a, like a little um, confusion maybe some confusion or maybe some uh, lack of understanding of maybe the differences between uh, and maybe, maybe you don't, you don't have to like put down different companies. I know you wouldn't do that, but, yeah. but there's probably four different players in this space that um, that are all slightly different. What do you view as kind of your, um, you know, with Dr. Contact Lens, what do you view as sort of the thing you do best? Yeah. What we have really, really learned is that the tech just has to work, right? Or people are going to get frustrated and it, then that's where things fizzle out. So our tech build is just incredible. Um, we're integrated now with so many different systems. I was looking at it. I think we have like 48 different integrations now on the back end. And so it's really, we're the only agnostic platform out there. You get to pick your distributor. We're working on some other direct relationships as well. And so I think that's really what makes us different is you owning your data, you owning that relationship and not putting it in to somebody else's where now you're held hostage. That is really the main difference here. And again, we're rebating ourselves to wealth because we're giving away valuable patient data that is yours for a 5% rebate or a $50 incentive or whatever it may be for just think longevity here, two, three, four or five years down the road. You're giving all your patient relationships away. So again, I don't care who you give your data to, but you better be using it the way these companies are using it and using it against you. So as I've made this flip So wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I would be remiss. I would would be like any other podcast host if I let you uh, say that and then not, not dive deeper into it. So tell me, how, how, how do you view that data getting used and, and what is, what is the fear slash, um, like, tactical advantage that a that a company would have when they when they get that information. So if you're giving a company directly access to your again you have the power of the pen as the doctors. And by having multiple manufacturers or multiple ways that we can fit lenses or even glasses in that matter, right? If you're pigeonholing yourself into one vendor and you're giving them directly first name, last name, date of birth, last exam date, all of these parameters think they don't need you anymore around the power of the pen. 
especially where online vision tests are headed and things like that, they already got you to write the script, right? And they valued that at XYZ when it was really valued at about a hundred times what they're giving you. Mm. And so we're not leveraging the data the, the way that they are. We're really becoming the pawn in the entire system without realizing it. And so that's, again, where you have to run a business and leverage what you have, which are those patient relationships and keeping that patient's data in your practice. Again, I don't care who you give it to, but you better be using it the way that they are. And that's what I was saying strategically with Dr. Contact Lens. We connect to the EMR. We go back in time, show you instantly who never ordered, who's due to reorder, who's due to come back and see you. And time and time again, the doctors are like, wait, what? I have 700 patients here that need to be seen. I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, don't send that out. I can't be busier. Right? Mm. So how that can means we hire again, an associate? You can pay the associate what they want. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or the patients that are due to reorder, just invite them. And we've had recently, we had one practice. We sent the little invitation button out. And in three days, they had over 150 patients order. You could never have processed 150 patient orders in your practice. And again, it's just, you got to understand you're doing all the work and you're just giving it away. And that's the value piece. So yeah, these platforms are free. They are free for a reason. There is a paid subscription for Dr. Contact Lens for a reason. So look at that. And I think that's where it's understanding your value and then what you're valuing something else at. You know, I want to, I want to explore one last comment you made, because I think it ties into, into this is, you know, you talked about online refractions and then you also made a comment about potentially limiting ourselves based on legislation. Do you, that was way at the beginning of the conversation. Um, In what ways do you view, like what, what pieces of legislation do you see as, as being a, a prohibition on the services that we can provide that you've seen recently? Well, like with the online vision tests, right? Mm-hmm. So that is here. And if you go and search it, it's there. But a lot of us are not taking advantage of that. It's pushing prescriptions onto ophthalmologists and things like that that are willing to do it. And I think something like, I mean, you as a lecturer as well. It's something as little as we don't even have all the technology that a lot of these things have in them, in our own practices. Like only 15 to 20% of us have a topographer. Every one of these vision tests has now, or like a vision kiosk or whatever it is, it has more technology in that little thing than most of us have in our practices. Really? Most of us? Is that right? 80%? Terrible. Golly. That's terrible. Like, we can't get upset at this if we can't even compete with what that thing has. So how can we, again, it's about leverage, leverage those relationships instead of legislating out of being able to approve the vision test. How do we make it work for us, right? If you have a patient that hasn't been back in 18 months, ping them. Let's see. Hey, I'm worried about your vision. Take this little vision test here. Let's see what we can do to get you back in. Okay, I reviewed everything. Everything looks good. Here's a link to your prescription, right? So it's about, I've been able to kind of live in that doctor mentality and I live there a lot, but also live in the disruption phase of what everybody's trying to do is cut that doctor-patient relationship out. You and I both know that's critical to this piece, but if we don't take advantage of it, somebody else will. Well, I think, you know, so so I've been, um, I have been on, on this side of that issue, my my biggest thing is I've ever given advice to any states that are looking for this, looking to uh, work against um, some of these entities. My caution has always been two things: first, don't make don't make a law that makes that prevents optometrists from doing something that an ophthalmologist can do or another medical doctor. And I'll tell you, we have talked back and like. From an SGRC standpoint, when I was um, chair of state government relations committee and before that, um, and then after that as well, I mean, there's a number of of, um, of states that were ready to do that. They were ready to put all these prohibitions on optometrists that would not have applied to ophthalmologists. I think that's a huge one. The second one is, I always say, imagine a world 
where I can get a beautiful uh, 360 degree aura to aura image of the retina with OCT scans of the entire thing, uh, perfect gonioscopy image, perfect scan of the entire cornea, um, you know, going through the whole thing, right? I, I imagine that that's the case. Do you want an optometrist to be able to evaluate a patient that way? Do you want to be able to have optometrists allow, you know, and then imagine that it can be uploaded on your phone and, uh, and everybody can do it. Don't you want optometrists to be able to do that? Don't you think that they should? Um, and, and then I think that kind of shifts. It's a, a little light bulb. It's, and I think what people, what happens is people right now, you know, you, you mentioned disruptive technology and, and right now, um, most of the technology, if I'm being honest, I think I'm not saying like, like where I think the technology has arrived is being able to have a doctor in a, in one remote location and having patients because of the, the infrastructure that's required to do all the things that, that we would do during an examination, mm-hmm. the patient still has to go to a physical location, but the doctor could be remote. I think that technology exists. And it, as you say, it is, um, I think it's legitimate technology. I think it's a legitimate way to do a, uh, routine eye exam, right? Like you can get a lot of great information and talk to the patient and say, Hey, look, I'm going to be here next week physically. I got to see you because of X, Y, and Z that I'm seeing, right? I think it would be a great, I mean, I, I've even thought about it in my own practices. Like I'm not getting out of my office. If you want, if you want your managed vision care plan exam, I'm staying in my room and you're going to be by with a, with my tech in another room, or I'm going to be at, you know, in my house or whatever. And, uh, and, and that's how you get a managed vision care plan, right? But when we find something there and you want, and now it's worth my face to face time, I think that's probably where things are going. But I say all that to say that, um, that right now what the public, the public by and large, and also our profession views as, um, what you call disruptive technology by and large is dubious technology. It is, mm-hmm. it is a visual acuity chart that is built to circumvent, as you say, the doctor-patient relationship to sell more widgets. And I agree with you that, um, that we probably need to figure out a way to articulate what the difference is between what we do physically and what is being done by those other pieces of technology. Unfortunately, where it really comes back to is exactly what you, the point you made before. It's when patients come into our office if we are not showing them the value of what, if they can't go to our office and realize this is different than what I just did online, if they don't see any difference, that is not, that is not, there's no piece of legislation that can, that can battle that. That is our fault. That's a me problem. Yeah. Uh, and so, and, and so the fact that, that we get really up in arms, we should, we should get up in arms because patients will, will be harmed. But ultimately, well, they're being confused, essentially, right? right? Correct. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'm on a I'm on a soapbox here. I, I I just think that the main point is is that I agree. I think we should be looking at technologies in, in ways to serve our patients as opposed to being protectionist. And um, and I think a lot of us still, uh, you know, twenty percent with with topography. I think you're right. I think a lot of us still, uh, you know, the breadth of our knowledge, education, and training is being way underutilized. Um, and it's because we get stuck in the mundane stuff, the mundane tasks, the, you know, get griping about managed vision care. Um, it's tough. Yeah. So, Branna Roo's path out of this is manage your contact lens better. My path out of it, so look, I, full, full disclosure, my path out of it is understanding your value through through being able to, you know, understand the differences between your managed vision care and your medical services that you're trained to provide and have those patients back uh, uh, based on a clinical practice guidelines, charge appropriately, give them value every single time you're doing that. I think there's all these little pieces. It's just got to come together because it sometimes does feel like an uphill battle where you're just, you're just taking one small piece at a time. You know, it's like, come on, people, just, you know, if you just do this, which is not true. I lost you. There we go. You said, come on people. Yeah. So I just think, uh, you know, it can be easy to, to try to find this one fix. The reality is I, as you suggest, there's probably, you know, 
20 to 30 to 40 levers we need to put, pull within our practices to really kind of take them to the next level. But practices, as, as you say, that are um, constantly evolving, constantly looking for those levers, they generally do really well. They do. And it does come to bandwidth and it's, it comes to figuring out who in your practice can manage a lot of these things and take a hold of it, right? So is that an associate doc? Is that giving them some administrative time? So that's actually what I do with one of my associate doctors. She's, I give her one day of administrative tasks with me by her side saying, let's do this. Let's innovate here. Let's go here. So she's becoming ingrained in that business to see that. And I think the interesting thing with the contact lenses, it's easy to understand, right? You buy it for this, you sell it for this, and you make it for that. The whole chunk of this that we won't have time to talk to today, but the optical side, oh my goodness, right? So we're just not managing to the best of our abilities, nor do we have the bandwidth to do it, but we have to start trusting and putting guardrails in that that feedback loop is there, that patient care loop is there, and then everybody is successful. Awesome. Well, well, listen, I'll be respectful of your time. Thanks for coming on today. It's been a fun conversation for me. Kudos to what you're doing. It's exciting to see businesses grow and um, tell people where they can find you. Yeah, they can find me on LinkedIn, Brianna Rue, or at drcontactlens.com. So we hope you understand what you're losing and take advantage of it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. 